0: Just a few minutes ago before the service got started, I spent some time with our uh, teenagers that are uh, working on a curriculum called Christianity Explored that takes takes you through the study of Mark, and they are working on that so that they are able to teach it uh, with friends of theirs that are non-Christians. And one of the questions came out, we were talking about, talking about the gospel, and a, a point was made about sharing the gospel is that we were talking about the last session that they'll lead. And, and it's a session that brings everything to a close where you present the gospel and give the people a choice of whether or not to follow Christ or not. And, and I made the point with them, I said, you, you've got to be careful not to sugarcoat the gospel. You've got to be careful not to do that. And, and you, you've got to make sure that, that when you tell someone about the gospel and about Christ's call on your life, that that is not missing the information that there's times when the Christian life is difficult there's times when it is trying there's times when 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 you don't you don't know how you're going to make it outside of the grace of God that we can never sugarcoat and make it this easy happy go lucky life because it's not. David Platt tells a story of when he was He's a pastor at Church of Brook Hills down in Birmingham, Alabama, and he tells a story of when he was getting started in seminary, and he sat under one of his professors and went to hear him preach, and the professor uh, preached a sermon entitled, "Entitled talk, or the, the main theme of the sermon was that he was going to talk everyone there out of following Christ. And through the course of the sermon, he, he preached a text, and I believe if, I, if my memory serves me correct, it was a text on the life of the Apostle Paul and the call to to die to yourself and give your life to christ and he does it And at the end everybody i mean all these people came forward it was just a moving thing and so dr platt shares that he decided he would do the same thing the next week he went in and uh i think it was a youth retreat and gave just a a resounding message about how he was going to talk everybody in there out of following christ and he came for the time of decision and no one came forward and he said evidently he did a better job of that than his professor did and I was thinking about those things. I was thinking about that in relation with our students. I was thinking about the relation to the sermon this morning that Pastor Haynes brought us from Hebrews. And I, before we get rolling tonight, I, I want to take just a moment to pray for our students because they're, this is our last training session tonight. And from here on out, it's just where the rubber meets the road, and they're going to be asking people. A couple, of, a couple of them have been rejected already and said they were crazy, um, and that's okay. That's okay. But I want us to take time to pray for them tonight as they go to their campus and just share the gospel and they start studies through Mark and I want you to remember them as they, as they do that. Let's pray together. God, tonight we, we come and we will hear a testimony from the Apostle Paul of his struggle, of his suffering, for the sake of your call in his life. And God, the reality is that, God, every one of us sitting in this room who have committed our life to following you, now the reality is that there will be days of suffering, that there will be days of trials and persecution. And God, in those days, we pray that you would strengthen us, that you would be our refuge, and that your grace would sustain us. And God, we pause now before we hear your word. God, we pause to remember our students and lift them up. God, as many of them are, are, have been going through a training to be a campus missionary, God, I pray that you would equip them and go before them as they take the gospel to their campus. God, for others who, who have not gone through the training, but God, they're actively sharing their faith with friends on ball teams or, or whatever it is, perhaps atheist friends or, or just friends that are confused. And we pray that you would speak powerfully through them. And we just ask that you would use them in a mighty way. And God, I pray that tonight as we study Paul's message to the the church at Colossae, God, I pray that it would be an encouragement to those who are in the midst of suffering. For those of us who it may be on the horizon for, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here's the reality that I want us to work from tonight. As we, as we look at, at what Paul has to tell the Colossians in uh, Colossians chapter 1, the tail end, and then getting into chapter 2, here's, here's the reality that I want us to start with, and, and we'll come back around to this. It's, it's this simple truth that everything in life has a price that has to be paid, including the gospel. Everything in life has a price, and that includes the gospel. This price, listen. This is important. Because I don't want you to get confused right from the get-go. Is that would be bad if we started confused, right? The the reality here. Here's here's what I mean by that. There's a price that always had to, has to be paid, and that price sometimes is paid by the giver. That price is sometimes paid by the recipient. Okay. In the case of the gospel, you understand that the price was paid in full by Jesus Christ, that we might receive the free gift of God's grace in salvation. We don't earn, we don't pay for salvation. It is a gift of God through faith in Christ. We understand that, but that does not mean that the good news of Christ that our salvation came free of charge. There was a great price that had to be paid. And we understand from scripture that that price that was paid was Jesus' life on the cross. And so tonight, the reality that we're working from is that the gospel is costly. There, there's a great price tag on the gospel. It started that way. When Christ came and he suffered, he lived a perfect life, he suffered and then died on the cross for my sins and for your sins. When, when he paid that price, there was a great price that was paid. And there's been a continual price that's paid. It's been costly for, for thousands and thousands, probably millions of, of believers throughout history since that time who have died and given their life for the advancement of the gospel. And I don't think that we could ever look at Paul and say that, you know what, there's no cost, there's no price to advancing the gospel. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. I want you to consider this question tonight as we look at a passage where where Paul gives us a glimpse of his ministry. He gives us a glimpse of the struggle and the suffering and the challenges that he confronts. Now, I I want you to ask yourself this question, what am I willing to pay for Jesus And his church what am i willing to pay not only are we going to look at what what did paul pay what price did he pay what kind of suffering what kind of struggle did he encounter but what price is todd meadows willing to pay we heard this morning from hebrews i i I joked with bill i I said man you you preached like a third of my sermon this morning he did he, he preached one whole point and i, I couldn't decide i was thinking about well, do i just nix that do i just re-preach bill's sermon or what so i, I brought his sermon notes up and, and i'm just going to add those into my notes that way we make sure we get everything uh it, everything together and don't get discounted and jeff gave us extra minutes and stuff so we'll take care of all that tonight but it's interesting again we see god's providence i was thinking this morning you know part of it, maybe this is selfish i don't know maybe it's, the preacher is sitting out and hearing me tonight I can tell me later. Part of me was thinking, man, Bill's stealing my thunder tonight. That's probably a selfish sin because what I came around to it, realizing that's God's providence. The way He aligned two different sermon series to come together tonight and this morning to deal with this idea that, you know what, if we are following Christ, we are going to encounter trials, we are going to suffer. And so the reality is that people in this room are in the midst of trials or, on, or about to be in the midst of trials. And so God in His providence and His sovereignty has brought us to this point tonight to look at these passages again. I want you to turn your Bible open to Colossians 1 and we'll begin in verse 24 tonight. I want to go ahead and read the entire passage. This is a passage where Paul gives us a glimpse of his ministry. It goes through chapter 2, verse 5. So let's read that together. Beginning in verse 24, chapter 1. Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are in Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one would delude you with persuasive argument for even though i am absent in body nevertheless i am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in christ i want to go ahead and be up front with you there's no way that we're going to touch on everything in this passage tonight one one of the difficulties of saying hey we're going to study the book of colossians in eight weeks is that there's going to (laughs) be sections where we can't spend ample time in and that's okay because I, I, I really feel like, God, there, there there's, there's several areas as I prayed about this that I think we really need to understand as a church. When we start looking at our service and our pursuit and our ministry that God has called us to. I, I'm approaching this from the understanding that, that we know that Paul was called to a specific ministry as an apostle. But also knowing that, that God expects all of us to minister. And God calls all of us to share the gospel, and to advance the gospel. And so I, I think the principles that we'll look at tonight, there's three over overriding principles from this, this large section of Scripture that we're going to deal with tonight that, that apply to all of us because we're all in the ministry of advancing the gospel, whether that's at a a school, whether that's at a business, whether that's at our home, whether that's at Grace Baptist Church, whether it's at Colonial Village in Peru, wherever it is, we are all in the ministry of advancing the gospel. We all have that responsibility and that calling on our life. And so there's three things that I want us to look at tonight. The first one is this, the first principle, if you're taking notes, these these are three general principles of the gospel ministry three general principles of the gospel ministry, that just three principles that we see from a man who is just absolutely passionate for God and his people. We see a glimpse of Paul's ministry and a description of his ministry that we can, have, we can learn a lot from. And so there's three principles I want us to look at. First, gospel ministry is God-centered. It's God-centered. And we see this in verses 24 through 20, 29. Note, note the context when Paul begins speaking of his ministry, what does it follow? It follows the, the just incredible hymn of, of 13 through 23. We spent the last two weeks, two weeks ago, we, we looked at the supremacy of Christ in all things. Pastor Haynes read that again this morning, that, that Christ is supreme in all things. He, he's supreme among all creation. He's supreme in salvation. He's supreme and head of the church. And then out of that, last week, we looked at the fact that that through Jesus, God has reconciled all things to himself, it says in verse 20. That that everything, everything is reconciled to God himself through Christ. And we come out of that knowing this, that as Paul begins now to speak of his ministry, as he shares of his ministry and his struggles and his heart for the people, that we understand that Paul has a right perspective from the get-go. That we, as we as seek to advance the gospel, we have to have that same perspective that it's God-centered. It starts with God. We have to have God in the right place from the beginning. The exalted place, the supreme place. Paul understands that it was, it was God that delivered him out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Paul understood that it was, it was Jesus who was supreme over thing, all things. He understood that Jesus' death was what reconciled him to God. He he understood that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that is what he was a minister of. He wasn't a minister of his own agenda. He wasn't a minister of his own preference. He wasn't a minister of his own timetable and what he wanted to and just his own people. He was a minister called by God and for God. And Paul rightly puts God in a place of supremacy. In verse 25, Verse 25, Paul Paul says that he is a minister according to the stewardship from God. The stewardship from God. That word stewardship just refers to the management or overseeing of one's property. We, We hear that and we think what? We think stewardship of finances, right? Instantly, if I hear stewardship, my first thought is financial stewardship. And I would say many of you are the same. But when Paul refers to this tonight, he's not thinking financially. I would say that's a part of it. But but he's saying that, he says in verse 25, he says that he has made a steward according to the stewardship from God. That this ministry that he leads, this ministry of advancing the gospel is a gift from God to him that he has to manage and oversee well. That, that it's a gift that he has to carry out. He's been entrusted with this ministry for God and from God. It's his responsibility. I want to read Ephesians uh, 3 1 through 7 to us. Just a, a parallel passage where, where Paul describes this same thing tonight. Ephesians 3 1 through 7. Paul says this For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul Paul sees his ministry, again, there in Ephesians 3, the same here as in Colossians 1, verse 25, that he is a stewardship from God that he's been entrusted with to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to to make this this mystery known. We we ask at the very end of verse 25, what's the nature of this responsibility that Paul has? He, He says to fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. To fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God is the responsibility of this ministry that Paul has. His task was to lay out the whole counsel of God. Why? Why is that the task? It's because it's only by the counsel of God that you know Christ better. You understand that that that's why at Grace Baptist, we put such a high priority on the hearing, the teaching, and preaching of God's Word. Because we understand that that contrary to popular belief, a funny story is not going to change your life. A, A very emotional, drawn out invitation isn't going to change your life. A great illustration will not change your life. Only the Word of God changes your life. And if we want to know Christ better, then we are going to preach the Word of God. We know Christ better through the word. And, and Paul understood that. That was a part of his ministry. He goes on in verse 26 and 27. The message of this ministry. He describes it as the mystery which has been hidden but is now manifested to the saints. The mystery. It's the same description that he had in Ephesians chapter 3. It's a mystery. What does Paul mean by mystery? It's an idea. You understand what a mystery is. Sydney loves reading mystery books. Or you try to figure out there's a little bit revealed, but not quite, and then finally to the end, you know, Sydney will come running in and just go and she rattles off the whole plot line and comes around to the end of what's happened and oh I didn't know this, but now I know it. And that's essentially the same thing that Paul's talking about here, that, that there's a mystery, what wasn't made known is now known. It was a common idea, a common thought thought throughout throughout Jewish thought and Jewish teaching. You think about the the dreams of Joseph and Daniel. Something that was not made known and then God made known. Right? You you think about the the message of the prophets. That was fulfilled through the life of Christ. that, That God revealed the mystery. So what is it? What is it? Look at verse 26. The mystery is the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. It's the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. Throughout the Old Testament, we we hear psalms where the psalmist is led by God to to pin down and to, to write the psalm that says, let the nations be glad. Where the psalmist writes, be still and know that I am God. Why? That I'll be exalted among the Jews? No. I'll be exalted among the nations. it was a mystery to the jew how would that happen they obviously dropped the ball (laughs) how would that happen how exactly was god going to take the gospel the good news to the nations and paul says listen i am here to reveal that mystery i am here to preach the gospel to the gentiles I am the one. God, God has sent me to reveal this mystery that I can proclaim the gospel of the Gentiles that Christ came not just to save the Jews, but to save the world. Not the universalism saved the world, as in no one has to say and confess to follow Christ. You're just all good to go and, and, and you're all grand and we're just going to heaven. Not, not the universalism that's being promoted and pushed and taught in Rob Bell's book that Bill referred to this morning, not that universalism, not that world, but Christ came to save the world as in everyone from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every gender, every social, socioeconomic background. That world. That there's no one unworthy of the gospel. There's no one that cannot come to Christ because of where they're from or who they are but anyone who comes and repents and believes in christ as their lord and savior may be saved that, that's the mystery in galatians 1 15 to 16 paul says god was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that i might preach him among the gentiles and we just read, Ephesians 3, 4 through 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. I think it's easy for us to take this for granted because I'm pretty sure most of us in here are Gentiles. <laughs> it's easy for us to take that for granted because we're, we're 2,000 years removed. But when Paul writes this, he says, Listen, you sitting in this room, you're, you're Gentiles, and, and previously you did not know the good news. But crisis came and he died on the cross for Jew and Gentile. That he says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation. For who? The Jew and then the Gentile. The power of the gospel, the mystery revealed. I think the danger is this, practically for us here. Is that we don't separate into Jews and Gentiles in Somerset, Kentucky. I I, I, I doubt any of you walk down the road and go, oh, there's a Gentile. Oh, there's a pagan. We We don't typically do that. What's more common, though? It's a little more common for someone who perhaps walks in on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night and we have that temptation to look and if they don't look like us, talk like us, walk like us, then we don't necessarily go to them, right? The temptation is that we go, okay, and walk right out. But if somebody walks like us, talks like us, and looks like us, then we go, hey, hey, it's great to have you. Man, I'm glad you visited. Where are you from? May we never come to that point. but May we always remember that the gospel is the divine equalizer, so to speak. That it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire and you walk through those doors tonight or if you have a dollar to your name and have come off the street and haven't taken a bath in a month. The gospel has put us all on the same playing field. That we all stand before Christ in need of His grace. And we all stand before Christ as sinners. The gospel to the Jew and to the Gentile. Notice how Paul describes this mystery. He he calls it the riches of the glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Glory. I, I, I would love to sometime come back and, and preach a sermon just on that description of Christ in you. The riches of glory of Christ in you. The hope of glory. Do we take for granted the indwelling of Christ in the life of the believer? Is that something we take for granted? It is an amazing thing to think of Christ in me, the riches and hope of glory. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that, that those separated from God are reconciled through Christ and are at peace with God and of Christ dwelling within them. That is good news. You've heard the quote before, I'm sure, of George Whitfield. He said, Other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no one can preach a better gospel. No one. No one can preach a better gospel. That is the gospel. That is the good news. In verse 28, how how does Paul carry out this God-centered ministry? How does he carry out the preaching of the word in verse 28? He he notes three things. He says by proclaiming, by admonishing, and by teaching. Proclaiming, admonishing, and teaching. Three aspects of of Paul's ministry there. here's, Here's the truth is that effective ministry does not hold back from telling the truth we're called to speak the truth in love not withhold the truth in love the the you know the the mindset of well i i'm not going to say anything maybe it'll work itself out typically blows up in our face scripture calls us to speak and to preach the truth in love As as a minister of the gospel i am charged with preaching the truth I'm charged to stand here and and to to preach the whole counsel of God as is Bill when he's here on Sunday morning or any other pastor, you've been told that before any other pastor that stands in this pulpit we are charged to present with you the whole counsel of God whether you like it or not and whether I like it or not that's the charge we have Paul's ultimate goal in verse 28 to present every man complete in Christ complete being mature, a finished work. He seeks to bring people to maturity. He seeks to see people grow, mature in Christ. We're in the business of making disciples. Out of Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Let us not be content with weak and shallow Christianity, but may we grow deep in our faith and minister in a way that calls people to grow deep. Before we move on, very quickly... Well, wow, very quickly, before we move on, we're on point one of three. This is great. We we do need to we do need to cover verse twenty four. There's a, there's a comment in there that we have to address, or it opens you can be opened up to heresy. Verse twenty four, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of His body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That phrase at the very end, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, is very important. Very important. And it's, it's confusing, it's tough, but it has to be handled carefully because if you mishandle it, then it's easy to go, okay, so Christ's work on the cross was not sufficient. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what Paul's saying. Scholars, honestly, I, I, I tried to read and figure this out and I was thinking, wow, this is great, I'm not going to be able to do that. But I, I, I was in great company <laughs> because scholars say, you know, we don't know exactly what Paul's saying here. It's, they, they don't know. There, there's different theories. Some people think that, that, that Paul's referring to an increased amount of suffering that the prophets spoke of in the age of the Messiah. As the Messiah came, that there would be an intensified amount of suffering for the people of God. So some people think he's referring to that. Others believe that he's referring to the sufferings of Christ and Paul's own life. Some people would think the text lends itself more to that. But scholars are pretty open and saying we're not exactly sure, but they know for certain that Paul does not approach it, and Paul is not teaching that Christ's work on the cross is insufficient. And they know it immediately is the context. Look at verse 20 of chapter one. In verse 20, he says, "And through him, talking about Christ, and through Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven." And then in verse 22, Yet he now has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If Christ's sacrifice and work is lacking, then he cannot have reconciled us to him. Okay? It would be insufficient to do that. So the context demands that Paul is not speaking of Christ's work being insufficient. All the ins and outs of what exactly he does mean, is a little more difficult. And we would have to do that another night. The 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 idea that is pretty evident in Paul here is that believers in Christ will suffer. He he sees the nearness that he Paul says in Paul's life it goes hand in hand. If I follow Christ, I will experience suffering. I will experience struggles. John fifteen, eighteen to twenty You don't have to flip there. Just hear that tonight. Flip the page back too far. Jesus says, If the world hates me, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because this, the world, hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Paul understood that. Paul knew that. That when Christ said that, he knew it was true. And so there's an identification. That leads us to the second point of Paul's ministry. The general idea, the general principle is this, is that advancing the gospel is not easy. It is not easy. It is not easy. Let me ask you a question. When you're presented with the possibility or certainty of struggle and suffering, are you going to charge the gates of hell with a water gun? Or are you going to turn and run to the embrace of safety in the arms of the American dream? If, if the horizon, if you know, if I do this, I will suffer. If I do this, it will have grave consequences. When that day comes, not if. We have to say when that day comes because Christ has assured us that there will be times of suffering. So when we have a decision to make and say I'm going to follow Christ but it's going to bring great suffering to me or to my family. When that day comes, do I charge headlong at the gates of hell with a water pistol? Or do I say, you know what? I'm going to go back here. (laughs) It's a little more comfortable over here. It's a little more safe. and turn to the American dream. The lie that we've been told is that advancing the gospel, that ministry is easy and smooth. And it's not. It's not. I told our students that tonight. I said, listen, there's times where you are going to experience struggles. Right in the middle of God's will, you are going to experience struggles. I mean, look at Paul and say, hey Paul, guess what? You know what? I don't think you're in God's will. You're having some hard days. Paul's going to go, man, you're crazy. You're crazy. I'm doing exactly what God's called me to do. I mean, do you understand? There's there's times, I mean, go through Acts and look at the apostles. Paul, or God says, go here. And what happens? They go there and then they get beaten. Does that mean they didn't obey? No, they did obey. They went exactly where God told them to do and they encountered suffering. But the lie of America has told us that if we encounter suffering or if it's not safe, that, well, maybe we shouldn't do it. Maybe we shouldn't do it. And that's the lie that the advancement of the gospel costs nothing. It costs nothing. It's not true. It's not true. We heard this morning out of Hebrews 12 that there is time where God intentionally brings trials and suffering into your life, intentionally works it to discipline you. There's times where He grows you in your faith through suffering. And Paul says in verse 24, what does he say? I rejoice in my sufferings. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I know, or I want you to know what a struggle I have on your behalf. He's in prison when he writes this letter. He's in prison. I mean, you consider his own testimony. Listen to 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 29. Just listen to this. Paul says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if I'm insane. I more so in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times shipwrecked, a night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Does this sound like an easy ministry? Does it sound like the advancement of the gospel came easy in Paul's life? No. No. He said, I went and I advanced the gospel through suffering and trials. I advanced the gospel through danger. Through danger. Danger from natural disasters. Danger from men. he went headlong. And you see also, you see there that there's an external physical suffering, but there's an inward suffering. There's an internal suffering that Paul went through. He says, who was in sin that I didn't suffer with them? Have you ever seen a brother or sister in Christ in sin and suffered through them? Have you had the sleepless night of going, what's going to happen in the life of that family? Have you wrestled with a friend who's longing for their child to come to Christ? You know what I'm talking about. The advancement of the gospel is not easy. Whether it's internal or external, we see, we suffer. Paul suffered in verse 1. He says, struggle, the struggle that I have. It's the word that we get agony from. It's actually referred to a place where the Olympic Games took place. It's not even necessarily a word that was typically used this way, but Paul puts it in the context of pastoral ministry. It's with great agony. His ministry has not been easy for the people. And we can't miss his attitude. We can't miss his attitude. I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? 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 Why can Paul rejoice? Partly what we heard heard this morning, right? Look at my sermon notes, right? Remember God's Word, remember God's care. That Paul can rejoice because he remembers those things. But it also knows, Paul also knows that suffering means deeper fellowship with Christ. Philippians 3.10, Paul wants to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Trying times test us. But Paul knew that suffering was miserable, but the resulting union with Christ was magnificent. And you can attest to this. I know some of you walked through an intense time of suffering with some of me, <laughs> right? And we knew the nearness of God. And I know there's families in our church who have loved one over, have a loved one overseas that's going through some serious suffering. It was her desire to take the gospel of the nations. And that girl's suffering. But she knows the nearness of Christ. She knows the cost. She knows that the gospel's worth paying that cost. Paul knows that the results of suffering is also the betterment of God's people. Hebrews 12, 11, from this morning again. See, I told you Bill was all over us. Hebrews 12, 11, what? That suffering leads to fruit bearing. It leads to fruit bearing. Paul says, and this is the third point, gospel ministry is others focused. It's others focused. In verse 24, he says, it is for your sake. Paul understands that his suffering is for the benefit of God's people. Philippians 1, 21-26. Paul says this, For to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that you, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Paul writes again from chains. It's the same, same place. He's still in chains. He writes to Philippians. He writes to Colossians from the same prison. And he pens these letters and he says, listen, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I don't know which one I want to do, but I know for your sake and for your betterment. If God keeps me here, that my suffering will result in that. And so I'm going to stay. And in verse 24, tonight, it's for, for the sake of the people. Paul didn't live in a vacuum. He didn't live in a vacuum. He knew that the trials of his life resulted in the good of the people, of God's people. Here's the truth for this, when you look, think about ministry and others' focus, is that our love for Christ always results in a love for God's people. Always. If we truly love Christ, we will love His people. Verse 28, Paul says that his goal is for God's people to make complete in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says he desires that their heart be encouraged, that they be unified. He he has a desire for them to have a greater understanding of Jesus Christ. He longs for this. He has a desire for God's people. In verse 4, he has a concern to protect them from false teachers. And we'll see that again in, in verse 8 of chapter 2. But if he has a desire, he's concerned for them. You see the love and the compassion, the agony that Paul has for these people. He, he has a concern for them. You see that when we read a few minutes ago in 2 Corinthians 11. We see that from Paul. That he wrestled, he agonized, he struggled with the people. When they sinned, he had compassion on them. He hurt with them. Paul was a pastor, he was not disconnected. When we advance the gospel, we advance it for the glory of God and for the sake of the lost. It is not easy. It is not easy. So, advancing the gospel has been and will be costly. That's just the truth. We've seen it throughout history. It has been and it will be costly. And here's the key. If you and I are going to walk in faith and advance the gospel, if we're going to be willing to suffer for Christ, then it demands that we not look out for ourselves or to ourselves. If we're going to advance the gospel, we can't just look out for me. And I can't look for strength from me. I can't. But if I'm going to advance the gospel, if you're going to advance the gospel, if Grace Baptist Church is going to advance the gospel two miles down the road to Hope Way, if we're going to advance the gospel there, if we're going to advance the gospel to another continent or to Cleveland, Tennessee, then we have to look to Christ and look out for others. We disregard self for the sake of the gospel. Is it safe? No. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it? Yes. Yes. What price are you willing to pay to advance the gospel? what price am I willing to pay to advance the gospel? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the life of Paul. We thank you for his testimony God, I'm so grateful that He, he just was, you led him to be transparent and to just share his heart and his struggles in ministry, the suffering that he encountered. Because, God, when we read that and we study it and we see it, God, we know that advancing the gospel is not easy. There's a price that must be paid. That price is different at different times. God, I pray that you would grow our faith in you. That we would seek to serve you and minister for the sake of the gospel, no matter what the cost. That we would seek to advance it for your glory and for the good of those who have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. God, we say that we believe you are sovereign. We say that we believe you're in control of all things. We say that the gospel is important. But God, we don't want to just say that. We want to live it. We want to live in faith of your power and your might and your control and your plan and your good news. Give us the faith to do that. Tonight this week and the coming years as Grace Baptist. Father, we love you. We love you so much, God. God, we thank you for loving us first and dying on the cross for our sins. And we give you all the glory, all the praise tonight. In the name of our Lord and Savior Christ, we pray and we gather tonight. Amen.